0: And all God's people said, take your Bibles and turn to Joshua, if you would, chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, we'll be looking at uh, verses there starting at verse 14, um, and then we'll come back in the first part of that chapter and look at it a little bit later in the message. But first, Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord, and if it is seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve. The Lord let's pray father we thank you for this word that gives us insight into the old testament and how the people who served you lived sometimes we only look to the new testament which we shouldn't uh, just that but it reminds us that there were people of faith who held to it and held to the belief in you Help us to understand that, and help us to understand a father's choice today. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. Father's Day is last week. It served on, it's uh, celebrated on the third uh, Sunday in June every year. Um, and the idea for creating Father's Day uh, to, for children to celebrate their fathers started in Spokane, Washington. It started with a lady whose name was Sonora Smart Dodd. Uh, She was a woman who, during a Mother's Day sermon uh, in the 1909 year, uh, was listening and thought about her father. Her mother had passed away and was not really there as she was being brought up. It was her father. And so he was the one who did everything for her. As She thought about him. She thought about his sacrifices. And uh, as a daughter will do many times with the dad, she saw him as courageous, as selfless, is honorable, is honest, and is a loving man. Just so happens that his birthday was in June, and so she decided uh, to have a celebration uh, in her area and hold the first Father's Day the next year, 2010, on the third Sunday in June. Her father's actual birthday was the 19th that year. And that's how Father's Day started. I noticed a couple of things about Father's Day, at least in our family. I noticed that in a lot of the pictures on Father's Day, I'm not in it. I'm buying the camera. <laughs> like, I don't understand how that happens. I'm the one that's taking the pictures, uh, either with the phone or it used to be the old cameras. And it just I'm, I'm not in the Father's Day pictures. I have pictures of everybody else. Uh, you know, we, we think of men and Father's Day. Life expectancy in the United States is uh, somewhere around 76 for men and 81 for women. And so many times, as you know and I know, we see in the paper, survived by widow. We tend to go first. And we have to recognize that there is a limited time that we're here. And we ought to celebrate as we can with those we love. Now, I understand as well that maybe your experience with a father is different than mine or other people who sit next to you. Maybe your father wasn't the kind that you remember as well. Maybe there's someone else in your family who took that role in millions of homes in the United States. The dad is AWOL. He's just not around. He's not a part of the picture. And so maybe when we talk about thinking of things like Father's Day, it's not quite the same for you as it might be for somebody else. But I think we should at least acknowledge the fact that the role of a father in today's society is not highly valued, is it? I mean, let's take uh, television shows, especially comedies. When you look at the father, he tends to be ignorant, he tends to be foolish, he tends to be intolerant, or the other side of that, he tends to be an abuser. And so it really isn't like we have a lot of role models to look at uh, for godly men, at least not currently. He seems to be absent. There seems to be a significant erosion of the value of fathers in our country, at least contemporary. Fathers become, I guess, the proverbial dinosaurs of our day. They're just not like they were. In ever-increasing artificial insemination, people can have a child without a father nearby. And so it's changed the way that we look at fathers. There, there's an estimated 74 million fathers in the United States. an interesting, in fact, I saw that uh, apparently 1.4 million are stay-at-home dads now. A few years ago, it was in hundreds of thousands. I don't know if COVID changed that, or but it would seem to be a jump where guys are staying home and the lady is going to work. They say that 60% of children under 6 lived with married parents, and they eat with their father on a daily basis. 24% eat with uh, their dad in the morning uh, for breakfast. About 88% of children under 6 are praised by their father every day. I thought that was a great statistic. I mean, if anything, that made me feel a little bit better about fathers in the United States. But still, there's a devaluation of the role of fathers, and it's led many, I think, many men just to abdicate. People are marrying later and later, and some are deciding not to have children at all. So much so that they're beginning to talk about the fact that population is going down and we're not even replacing ourselves. Why is that? Because some people don't even want to be fathers because of their experience and the way people treat them. <laughs> I heard a story a number of years ago about, about some kids and uh, they wanted a hamster. And so uh, mom decided to go to you know the place where they buy a pet store and bought a hamster for them and they named the hamster Danny. And they brought it home, and Mom warned them, Now, look, you got to take care of this hamster. You're responsible for this. I'm not going to be the one that's going to take care of this for forever. You have to do it. And so, of course, as always happens sometimes in the family, a couple of months later, Mom was feeding the hamster, finding the hamster in the hamster wheel somewhere over in the corner in the hamster ball, cleaning it out, putting in new shavings. And she was not, you know, I didn't want it to begin with. And so she sat down with the kids and said, look, it's, it's time. Uh, he's going to have to go. Uh, and the kids said, well, I'll miss him. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to miss him. Others said, well, if he ate less, would it, could he still stay? And Mom said, no. It's time to take Danny to a new home. Danny, we thought you meant Daddy. <laughs> I think even within the home sometimes we're not valued as much as we could be. That said... God designed for there to be a man and a woman, a father and a mother in a home. That was his initial design. And he gave them different roles. And in our scripture reading today as we read the passage of Joshua, uh, here we have a father who made some decisions that impacted the lives of his family in some powerful and far-reaching ways. What he did was also a challenge to us. You don't have to be a man to be challenged by Joshua. You can learn from him, whoever you are today, as we think of a father's choice. First of all, as we think of a father's choice, Roman numeral one, if you will, uh, a father's challenge. As you think about his situation, Joshua was not a prince of Egypt like his predecessor was, but he experienced a lot of things. Go back to Joshua 24, and let's start at verse 1 and, and go through the list of things that happened. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel, the Shechem, and some he, he, he of the elders and the leaders and the judges and the officials of Israel, and they presented them before God. He called everybody together. Joshua said to all the people this is what the Lord God of Israel says long ago your your, your forefathers including Terah and the father of Abraham and Nahor lived in the river and worshipped other gods but I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants I gave him Isaac and I gave Isaac I gave Jacob and I gave Esau and I I assigned him the hill country to Sarah and Esau but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out, remember God speaking. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea, but they cried to the Lord to help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he brought you the sea over them and covered them, you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians, then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of Amorites, who lived east of Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, the son of Zippor, and the king of Moab prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, uh, to, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam. And so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho citizens of Jericho fought against you as as also did the Amorites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, and the Gishishites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. And I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you also to Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So, I gave you a land on which you... Did not toil, cities which you did not build. And you live in them and eat from the vineyards and the olive groves that you did not plant. And then we come to the verse that we read earlier. Now fear the Lord and serve Him. With all faithfulness, throw away the gods of your forefathers, worship beyond the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers serve beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That was his situation. He had gone through all of that. He had been brought there historically, and he lived as a slave through that situation. God used him. But unlike his predecessor, Moses, who was a a prince of Egypt, Joshua was an ordinary man. But God used him in extraordinary ways. He did something with him that he did not do with Moses. He took a common man, not a prince was acquainted with the courts of Egypt and could stand and talk to his his predecessor in the throne room and stare him down no he brought a common man and he used him in this situation in verse one of Joshua chapter one we learned that after death of Moses his mentor we we see that the spiritual leader and the teacher that Moses had been to Joshua had an effect on him And the Lord spoke to Joshua with instructions on how to lead the people of Israel and what to do with them. But Moses had been such an imposing figure. Can you imagine following Moses? I mean, I can hear it. Moses didn't do it like that. (laughs) Your face is not shining. You know, like Moses' face. Are you really close to God? I'm sure that there were things that went on that were said and things that went on in Joshua's own mind. And so at least for a while we read in the early chapters that there seems to be some sort of paralysis of leadership and they don't move forward as fast because the nation is mourning the loss of this giant named Moses. How in the world do you live up to a man like that? That was his situation so his service that follows, I think, still as we think of that first point, we're told that Joshua was a servant of the Lord uh, who served Moses as a minister, or sometimes it's translated helper. And so when you look at his life, he's often in the background. He played second fiddle, if you will, to Moses. Moses second banana he was just there he served he did what was necessary and he was kind of the guy that stood in his mentor's shadow and was very seldom heard from he was the fly on the wall he was there but he wasn't in the forefront it was moses who drove everything. It was Moses who the people came to. It was Moses that was the figurehead. It was Moses who spoke to the rock or hit the rock or whatever had to happen. It was Moses that did it and now it falls to Joshua and how do you live up to that? But I am struck by his spirituality. How he lived his life in the face of all that he went through. Joshua was born in Egypt. He was born a slave. He lived in those conditions. He he did what was necessary to live under the yoke of that oppression. But he never allowed the influence of that land and its idols to sway him. He was a dedicated follower of the Lord. He followed Jehovah all his life. And the nation might backslide, but not Joshua. Everybody else may choose to see something else, but Joshua saw a promised land that they could have taken had they gone. He was steadfast in his faith and his following of God without reservation. Nothing swayed him from his belief in God. We look around us and we are exposed certainly to idols in the United States. They, they, they may not be golden idols, they may not be calves, but they are things that detract us from the worship of God. Sometimes it could be family, it could be job, it could be uh, even enjoyment. It might be a fishing boat, it, it might be a, a, a little house on the lake, it might be something that pulls us away from God to not worship him fully. It might be the people around us that we bow down to and we want them to uh, like us and so we do things that we shouldn't or don't do things we should and we aren't as faithful as we could be, but not Joshua. In light of everything that he went through, he was a spiritual, faithful man who stood up and did what was necessary in a trying time. Second, a father's choice. First, we have the father's challenge. Now we have the father's choice. In Joshua chapter 1, we read the following statement Joshua 1 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, unto the land which I do give thee, even to the children of Israel verse 3 every place that your soul of your foot shall tread upon that i have given unto you as i said unto moses from the wilderness from this lebanon even to the great river the euphrates and all the land of the hittites and all the great sea toward going down to the sun shall be your coast it's a border There shall not be any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous. You see the pattern there of courage in his life? That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left hand, that thou mayest prosper whither thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and be of what? Good courage. There it is again. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Everything we need to know about Joshua can be found basically in these first nine verses. What his job was and who he was supposed to be and what his mission was and how he was supposed to act. I wonder, you know, I I never saw Joshua as being a person who was fearful. I, I never, I know, he was the, one of the scouts when they saw the land and the giants, and the, he said, "Let's, we can take them, guys." It wasn't he was fearful, but sometimes when you're a leader, you are put in a different position than when you're a follower. Now he had to be the leader. He had to be a leader of men. And God wanted him to be courageous in that. We look at his background again. Joshua in the Bible says that there in Egypt as a slave his entire life under the cruel Egyptian taskmasters, yet he rose through his faithful obedience to God. Moses gave him the name Yeshua. In Hebrew, it means the Lord's salvation. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. I think we can look at Joshua as a foreshadowing, a a picture of Jesus to come, a type, if you will, of Jesus Christ the Messiah. The name Jesus is equivalent to the name Joshua in the Old Testament. Again, when you remember the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan, it was Joshua and Caleb, the son of Jephthah. Who believed that the Israelites could conquer the land with God's help? Angry, God sent the Jews to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their lack of belief, but it wasn't Joshua who caused that. He believed in God. As you remember, before the Jews entered Canaan and Moses died, Joshua became his successor. That's his background, but what about his behavior? I think there are three words when you look at his life that that sum up and characterize his behavior. I think one is trust, one is obedience, and the last is faithfulness. Trust, obedience, and faithfulness. He trusted God. Whatever God said they could do, we can do it. Whatever God said to do, he did it. And ever how long God said it should be done, he saw it through to the end, faithfulness. I think those words, trust, obedience, and faithfulness, helped him to be the person that he was. In spite of the fact there were other competing voices around him, as there always are for leaders, with only one blemish in the scripture, when he did not consult the Lord in a matter of a peace treaty, he made with the Gibeonites. That was the only time a Canaanite tribe, because God had forbidden Israel to take treaties with people in Cana. If Joshua had sought God's guidance even in that, he would have made no mistakes. But then who is perfect? So he made a mistake. But it did not keep him from serving the Lord, did it? You make mistakes, but it doesn't keep you from being trusting in God, obedient to God, faithful to God. Whatever mistakes you've made in your life, it doesn't keep you from continuing to serve God or to get back into service with God. I've heard some people say, "Well, you don't know what I've done." No, I don't, but God does. But you know what? It doesn't matter because God forgives and he sets you back on a solid foundation and you can trust him, you can obey him, and you can be faithful to him. Just like this man, just like Joshua. When you look at your life and you see the way that he leads is it something that you're willing to do if Joshua had just followed him in that one instance? Maybe you remember an instance that seems to overshadow your decisions. You, you start to do something for God and you go, yeah, but there was that time that I, and then whatever it is. Or maybe it's something that's continuing, something you have trouble with, a sin that easily besets you. And you go, yeah, well, there's that thing, and I never can seem to not do that. And yet God can forgive you even in that and give you the strength to overcome those sins and to serve him. Joshua's belief system was founded in the book of the law. But this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt observe to do all things that are written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way. What prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. He knew where the directions were. He knew how to follow them. Be sure to worship them, he says. Follow them. And that's what makes your life successful. This book leads us. A psychology book does not lead me. Oh, occasionally I'll look at books and try to figure out why people are the way they are. Sure, I mean, yeah, I I, want to know why humans act the way they do. I look at science books to try to figure out how things work. I, I look at books that are not the Bible. But when it comes to living my life and knowing what should be done, when the hard decisions need an answer, it's this book that leads us. It's this book that we believe in. It's this book that's infallible. It's this book that helps us to worship God. I can read common books today that are Christian. I can go to the Christian bookstore and read all sorts of Christian books about how to live Christian ways. Five easy ways to do this, seven ways to do that, ten ways to do this. I can read those books and they're fun to read and maybe they help me focus on a certain problem that I'm having. But folks, the whole counsel of the Lord will lead us the same way if we'll just not be lazy and read it. I think that's our biggest problem. And so is it any wonder that God said to Moses, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Absorb it, eat it, make it part of who you are. It's that book that did it. Third, a father's commitment. You look at that passage of scripture in verse 14 and 15 of Joshua 24 and you see his commitment, don't you? as for me there it is there's the commitment and you know we look you review that again you look at everything that brought them to the place that where he did the history he told them how god had saved them in every instance that was gigantic in their lives and then he said in light of that as for me in my house we're going to serve the lord A young student in China decided to play a trick on his elderly teacher one day. And he caught a small bird and he cupped it in his hand and he put it behind his back. And then he approached this sage, this teacher, and and he said uh, to the old man, I have this bird in my hand. Is it alive or is it dead? Well, you know, the boy thought, if the teacher says it's alive, I'll crush it, break its neck and Hand it to him. If he says it's dead, I'll turn it around and show it to him and show it's alive. And so I'll trick my teacher. I'll show him I'm smarter than he is. So he said, old man, is it alive or is it dead? But the old man was still wiser than him. And he said these words. Is it dead or alive? Well, the answer to that question, my son, is in your hand. The decision for us to be committed to Jesus is in our hands. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You cannot avoid those words. Choose you this day who you will serve. Who will you serve today? The answer is in your hands. John fourteen six. we can't be neutral to the ways of Jesus. We have to accept and believe who he is. Do we accept him as God's son, as the savior of the world? Or do we believe him as some madman that believed he was God? Your friends and your family can't make that decision for you. It's in your hands. You see that commitment. I also see this. I see his paternal commitment. His personal commitment is, as for me. But then I see his paternal, as for me and my house. He made a commitment for his family. He didn't make the decision for them, but he decided that he would lead his family. He would be the one that told them about God. He would be the one that told them what they should do and why they should do it. They would have to make the decision, but he would lead them. The statistics are something like this. If the father goes to church, 92% of the time, the family goes to church. But if you go to the mother and you go to the child as being the first ones to attend church, it's less and less and less. It is the father who is the greater driving force in spiritual belief. Some kids may come and through Vacation Bible School discover Jesus and come to church and and attend and that's great but the dad may not come. The mom may pick up the kids and take the kids to church but the dad may not come. But when the dad comes more often than not the family comes and hears the word of the Lord. There was his paternal commitment and then there was his purposeful commitment. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. You remember in the Old Testament, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. He made a decision. He chose to do something. You and I are faced with decisions every day. You know, there, there's a point at which statistically they tell us that we make so many decisions in a day it just becomes difficult to make any decision at all but friends this is a decision you have to make will you believe in jesus or won't you the eternal destiny of you and maybe your family rides on the fact that you make that decision because you will influence other people Today, we think of men as being the father's choice here. It is through your decision that you lead your family in faith, in commitment, in following in a purpose. When they see it in your life, they'll know what to do. There was an Arab chief, and the story goes, and there was a spy who was captured and brought before the Arab chief. Had a general custom uh, that they would put the criminals before a firing squad, but off to the side was a black door. And then they would go, and as the spy was there, tied to the post, getting ready to be shot because he was in a country he shouldn't have been in, he's asked a question Will it be the firing squad or the big black door? The spies, in this case, hesitated for a long time. His decision was uncertain as he tried to figure out what to do. And ultimately, he chose the firing squad. Shots rung out, execution is over with. And then the general turned back and the aide said, is it always like that? And the general said, you know, They always prefer to know the way rather than the unknown. They do not choose because they are afraid. Is it any wonder, again, that God told Moses to lead these people? And then he told Joshua to be courageous. Why? Because he was going into the unknown. What's behind the big black door of choice? I don't know what it means for you. Maybe if you accept the Lord, he will move you from here. Maybe you'll go and be a missionary in some way. I was in seminary, and there was a guy who was there who was 76 years old getting his seminary degree to go to the foreign mission field. 76. I mean, he had grandchildren. I think he had great-grandchildren, if, if I wasn't mistaken and he was there to get his degree so that he could be qualified to be a missionary. Are we ever too old to serve God? How old was Moses? 80. How old was Joshua when he was leader? You see, we're never too old. We're never out of the loop, but maybe we don't make the choice to follow God because we don't know what's behind the door. We go back to those three words. Trust. Trust obedience, and faithfulness. I encourage you to make a choice today, a father's choice, if you will, to follow God, to trust him, to obey him, and to be faithful to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we ask you to help us. The freedom that we have gives us a choice to be brave, very few people are as brave as they'd like to be. But God, today we ask you to help us to do what Joshua did, to be a courageous and not to be afraid. To trust you, to obey you, to be faithful to you. Father, we are reminded that these are experiences that we all come up, that we all make this choice. To believe what the Bible says, to trust the Bible, then to obey the Bible's words and expectations to live a certain way, and then to be faithful in that every day. We die to ourselves and we live for Jesus. Lord, we come to you today and ask you to help us to be like Joshua, to make the right choice. And no matter what the people around us say or influence, may we follow you. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.